So you like bold red wine most of the time With notes of fig and raisin You like a cold brew and pitching horseshoes As the sun is fading You like football games and dishing out nicknames With Godfathers 1 and 2 But not so fast, we got them podcast We like that too we like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. Hey, welcome back, Bon Vivants. We have missed you. This is Brad Jones with the We Like That Too podcast. And of course, joining me is the head Bon Vivant himself, Mr. Keith in Lou. Hello, everybody. It's great to be back. Nice to be back here at the old studio. No kidding. So we, always good to be home. We took a sort of a sabbatical, a little one. You, we were forced to. We <laughs> life <laughs> life got in the way, didn't it? You know, we have this thing called our jobs the, that we have to perform, and the, uh, the paying gig. Yeah, the paying gig. So our schedules just got in the way of uh, getting caught up, but we're back on the back on track again. And you got to uh, you got to spend a week with your two granddaughters, oh, and and you look no worse than wear. You you look good. I've had time to recover since <laughs> then, so it was great. But they, you know, little there's a reason you have children when you're young. That's right. Oh, That's right. My goodness. So we are excited about today's program. We are because as we were saying, yeah. when, when we started this, Keith, we put a big list of, of folks that we really wanted to have on. We did, and. Uh, this he, guy was, he was at, on it. He was at the top. <laughs> he was on it. <laughs> he, like, he was in the top five. Let's put it that way. I know we talked best. about that. We're, we're glad we could finally yeah. finally do that. Our good friend Jim Anderson uh, was responsible right. all the way back at Missouri episode, and grape growers, ep- episode yeah. nine. Yes. Uh-huh. And uh, so I, finally, I, I sent Jim a note and I said, get me his number. I want his cell phone personal number. I want, <laughs> yeah. We need to get him in here. Yeah. And we, you know, we've met our guest several times. He's very active in the community around here doing things that we like to do as far as supporting fundraisers, holding tastings, that kind of thing for his product and a huge ambassador of the Missouri wine uh, industry. We're going to stay close to home today with Missouri wines, but uh, go ahead and introduce our guest. He is the president and CEO of the largest winery in the state of Missouri, St. James Winery in beautiful St. James, Missouri. Welcome to the show, Peter Hofer. Oh, glad to be here. Yeah, we're very glad honored. To, glad to, glad have, to you. have you finally. Yeah. Yeah. And if you drive through Missouri on route, the old Route 66, which is now Interstate 44, you will drive past St. James Winery. It's very visible right from the highway. Yeah. Too. Our vineyards are all around old Route 66. Yeah. It's a big part of uh, who we are and our heritage. And a fun tasting room. A it, fun place to stop and do a tasting. It is. Yeah. I'm going to get into that in a minute. The The physical campus that they have developed down there is just fantastic. Yeah, it is you. just so it's neat. Gorgeous. You know, Peter, one of the questions I would normally ask when, we, when we've talked to folks that are in the industry or associated was what brought you to wine? But in this case, I really, I, I really, I, I could use, I could be a smart ass and say, well, DNA is, prob- exactly. is, is probably yeah, in a very lucky club. A, that's right, yeah. because your uh, your mom and dad started St. James yeah. in 1970. Yeah, they were. Um, uh, they dad was actually uh, he was a uh, quality control guy um, in St. Louis at uh, brewery. And then he was recruited by Bordenhauer's to uh, start the, a cellar there, and this was in the late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. And so then he started uh, St. James. He said, you know, if they can do it, I can do it. And so there were only about 400 wineries in the United States at the time as opposed to like 16,500 now. Yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, it was a bootstrap. He just did a startup and borrowed from family and friends and – Started work in the area. Where did he? Where did he go for information? You know how? How yeah. did he learn the business? There was no interweb at right. the time. Yeah. No, yeah. there wasn't. So, yeah. There wasn't. It was. Uh, it, it was one of the lows for wine in America at that time. So most of the knowledge in Missouri was gone after prohibition. Prohibition took all that right. great knowledge yeah. away from Missouri. Yeah, it was uh, one of the leaders, but the knowledge was up in the Finger Lakes. And out okay. at UC Davis. Okay. So my folks spend a lot of time um, east at Cornell and in the Finger Lakes with friends. And at that time, there were so few winery families in the United States. 
that most of the families knew each other. Yeah, everybody knew everybody. One, one of the yeah. one of the wines that we really liked uh, from up in that area was the Weimer family. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah. what an interesting story, you know. Old from family. you know, they were We've got a great dry riesling up there. That yeah, Weimer the Taylor riesling, the Taylor yeah. family yeah. was another one. Um, there were several pioneering families, yeah. and. Um, when my daughter recently joined, she's the third generation. We took her up there and we went through the same thing my parents had did and introduced her to fourth generation families that my mom and dad knew. Oh, that's and that I had so done when I came cool. back in 95. Very cool. And uh, the third generation at Stonehill, Nathan Held was with us too. Yeah. Oh, Nathan yeah. was? Yeah. And so he was uh, with my daughter Brandon and I and we did a few uh, tours and tastings and talking to some of the old families. Very cool. We went up and spent some time with Sean uh, Turnbull. Yeah. yeah. Great guy. <laughs> what an interesting, He's a fun guy. guy. He's an Great interesting palette. cat, too. Wonderful palate. Yeah. And he has a very interesting, unique approach to yeah, winemaking. He does. Yeah. It, it's kind of cool to come have someone from the outside, literally the outside world, uh, South Africa. That's right. Come over That's and, right. you know, lend some influence to local winemaking. Yeah, and our... He, uh, the industry has that. Our, our winemaker, Andrew Maggots, from New Zealand. Ah. And so he's been with us since I was the going early to ask, 2000s. Right, I was going to ask you because right I down saw that one name. of the. We'll get him on the program. I too. saw yeah, one he's of He's one of our partners. He yeah, too so. has a great accent. So I, uh, when I saw one of your interviews, he was on and I was like, I wonder where he's from because he's got a great accent yeah. too. So yeah, he's, he started there, made wine in, um, New Zealand, Australia, and then uh, France for quite a while before coming over and joining us. Cool. And yeah. so he's been uh, with us for, oh, gosh, it's got to be 15, 20 years now. Well, what we want to get into the St. James story in I depth. do, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, it's my job to keep us on track. <laughs> and the uh, the subtitle of the uh, podcast, Peter, is One Bottle, Two Friends, Three Top Picks. So we got to get to one bottle first. We're going to do more than one bottle today. We, we, we and 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 once again, we love having guests that bring their. I know we got to do that more. Bring often. their own things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Peter's gracious enough to uh, share some of the St. James wine with us today, and we have a lovely white in our glass right now. We're going to let Peter tell us all about it. This is um, thirty-eight degrees north. Yeah, that's our longitude. So okay. already has an interesting story. Yeah, Andrew, just to, uh, so the. The story behind here is that the industry is in a great reset right now. The climate has changed our terroirs and our taste profiles. Okay. And so my parents started the tradition, and Andrew Meggett has kept it up, that we have really big R&D vineyards. And we bring in vines from all over the place to see if they'll grow in our climate and produce the taste profiles we want. And so we also have weather stations and big data that we follow on all of our five of our vineyards. And so we noticed that the changes uh, in not only in profile, but um, we were able to start growing some vinifera and other grapes that we couldn't grow before, some of the Austrian varietals. Okay. All right. And so 38 degrees north and then its red companion, Project 1970, um, reflect that change in our terroir. So some of the grapes that are coming out of that R&D program are in these wines, and they really reflect the changing terroir and the changing taste profile that we're facing here in Missouri. And it's just not us. I sit on national research boards, sure. yeah, and it's uh, one of the five drivers of the industry nationwide that we're working on. If you listen to any wine podcast, you read publications, without a doubt, climate is a driving factor in what mm-hmm. people are doing. And some of it is actually expanding what they're able to do. Some of it is negative on its impact. So, yeah, it's got to be a tricky uh, a challenge it to is. deal with that. And, you know, I have my friends that have the larger wineries in the country, They, uh, you can see by the properties they're purchasing which model they're kind of following Mm -hmm. on where they think the regions are going to be in the future right so you can kind of track it in the eastern united states um it's impacting us at a very very high level yeah but in a positive way for most of our states i read something the other day about um england the country of england is now beginning to be able to cultivate and grow vines where they couldn't before. And their sparkling programs have just taken off. Yeah. They're some of the it, best it, in the world. In, partic- yeah. in particular, their sparkling wines. That yeah. was, that yeah. was what that article was all about. Yes, they are benefiting from yeah. it. And yeah. we're seeing that the, the regions in the world that can grow uh, quality grapes now is expanding. 
And it's just because uh, the changes that we're facing. Yeah. So this wine in particular. Yeah, tell us about this. Um, it, it's a, we've got some Valvin Muscat in there. It's some of the Vignol, um, as well as some Brianna is in there. Um, he's got an Austin variety that a varietal that I just can't remember the name of. I'm sorry, guys. It's got a lot of Z's and. That's all right. It's not a test. There's a lot of varietals out there. This one. Well, let's describe it. It's a beautiful gold color, light gold. I would call it. It's got a really nice, vibrant look. Beautiful in the glass. It's almost got a. It's almost got a. It's almost got a beer, a beerish color to it. A little bit. Maybe a pale ale. Yeah. Yeah. The smell. The nose. Brad always teases me because I always say everything has a good nose, but I love the nose. But this really does. This really, really has a nice nose on it. Now I can. I'm an old world guy, mm-hmm. so I can smell the acid on this. Yeah, I haven't even tasted it yet, but yeah, I hope active. it delivers acid wise what I'm getting on the nose. Yeah, um, yeah. It's um, he made a wine like this in Provence, and that's why um, he wanted to make something similar here. This is really, really interesting. This is a. It's crisp. It's clean, mm-hmm. but it's it definitely has a. It definitely is is a little bit fruit forward, but I uh, it's pretty well balanced. It's I mean, very I'm not well balanced. The, I'm not getting punched in the face with fruit. No, I, some, I like that active active acidity on the finish. I too. do too. I or, really do. Or, or it's acidity. a very food friendly. The, um, the fruit wine. that I'm getting on the palate is not what I would have guessed coming off of the nose. Yeah, it's more. Um, I don't smell melon. On the, That's it. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's more melon. On the palate than it is on the nose. I would have guessed maybe pear or peach on the, yeah, on that, the nose. Yeah, there's but. some of the um, that's coming out of some of the vignol. Yeah, it's giving you that. Very nice. This is good. This yeah. is yeah, this would be great on a summer afternoon yes. on the patio. We call them the patio pounders. We could <laughs> we, we, we we could pound a few of these out <laughs> on the patio this if would, we ever get weather and, around here. That's, and what about pairing? You know, we talked about how wine changes when you pair it with stuff. Uh, Peter, what would you recommend maybe pairing this with food wise? Um, we do we do a lot of salads that have a little bit of acid to them mm-hmm. as well, and this this um, will hold its own and support some of the fruit in a salad if it's got a little acid base to it. So a first course um, for us, and then we also do quite a bit of seafood with it as well. Salmon, I was going to say, yeah. or a seafood ceviche or something like That's that. That's right. Would be real, a little little bit of a jalapeno in it. Yeah, one of my favorite things is. Uh, just doing a multi-course dinner, and we choose wines at each course. And yeah, um, this one has a lot of flexibility for the first course and for usually the third for us um, when the entree comes in. I think this would go really nice with some certain cheeses, also. Yeah, um, yeah, that the fruit forwardness, but in the act, active acidity at the end of it, it can really hold its own, and it won't get washed out um, or be flabby. It's got a really nice finish too. It stays it, on my tongue a long time. Yeah, it does, and it does remind me a little bit of the Finger Lakes mm-hmm. type influence. Uh, yeah. right. It's got it's You're got right. some of that almost kind of a you know northeast kind of a feel to it, and it's that's a compliment. A little, yeah. <laughs> almost well, you know, a little northern French area has that similar kind of weather yeah. where you pick up that sort of Finger Lakes. Um, real vibrant wines, real vibrant acid yes. structures. Yeah, but it's also got a sort of creaminess along mm-hmm. the outside edges of my tongue after I swallow it. Yeah, that's the Brianna's. Yeah, coming it's out. really nice. It's it's very finished. good. Well, congratulations. Well, this it's, is a it's winner. Andrew. I, I get to uh, watch his genius at work. So yeah. I enjoy our, that. Our compliments to the chef. Yeah. <laughs> so so tell our bon vivants, where can they access it? Um, Chinooks or Tyvee's okay. been a great sponsor um, okay. of local wines. Okay. Now, do, so, you sh- do you ship to other places do. too? Yeah, we ship we to have 40 list- odd states. We have listeners all over the world. Yeah, so, we distribute um, in 20 states, most of them in the Midwest and the East. Okay. And then we shipped uh, almost every state in the country. Online? Can you yeah. purchase online? online. Yeah, good. we do a really big online and business. And we will, we will be sure to share St. James' yeah. social media. Yeah, well, certainly if you're in the area, come down and see them. But. Yeah, because we have a lot of um, R&D wines. Those R&D wines are small lots, and they're all available at our retail room. So the, the versions of the future are there, and they're usually um, part of our tasting program. What kind so, of volume on this did you get when you produced it? Well, I think he did a couple thousand cases okay. of that. I don't think it was huge. Yeah. Because Brad and I got to sample through Jim Anderson some of the uh, estate governors, the governors' cup winners. Yeah, that was and 
those ran out very quickly. <laughs> At least uh, the ones that we had sampled when we went back to buy them, they were gone. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, I know. It was because those were really good ones. Yeah, they so. only have a – the Missouri Contest, I think they have like a 25 or 50 case minimum. Yeah. And some of the winners are pretty small. Well, thank you for bringing this, Peter. This yeah, is really you, good. I will enjoy that throughout the program, but we're going to taste another one a little later. We on. are. Good. We are. Um, How many acres do we have under uh, under Vine right now? 185. 185. Mm-hmm. And then of that, how many acres then is is your experimental? Your Let's, uh, let's see if this works. 15. So what are you most excited about? In that 15 acres, what what do you think is going to come out of there that um, you go, wow, we finally we, know, we finally have a Midwest Pinot Noir? Every uh, year it's a little different. Uh, Tanat has been showing really well. Say it again. Tanat. Describe it. I'm not familiar. Yeah, it's um, it's got a lot of uh, deep astringency to it. It's a blender okay. um, in a lot of places, but okay. in South America and some parts, it's uh, um, a primary grape for some of the countries. Okay. But it, it's a full-bodied wine. It ages really well, and, it, and as it ages, it changes with uh, so depth of flavor and some really nice active acidity in it. So you see it mostly um, when wines are a little thin up front because maybe they haven't had the heat degree days to fully ripen the grapes for like a cab. They'll add some tanat to it to um, really round the wine out. Give it some depth. So that's common from winemakers in Europe and okay. South America. All right. So that, that's been interesting. And is that a new varietal for Missouri? Is that something? Oh, like I'm it? sure that everybody's got their little R&D vineyard going. <laughs> so I miss John Held at Stonehill does a great job of trying new stuff out too. And yeah. I'm sure he's got a few of these. Yeah. One of the interviews that I thought was really interesting because I didn't understand what the relationship was that you have with the brewery that's right next mm-hmm. door. And, uh, I have been in both, and between the two of them, you have the most beautiful garden oh, and thanks. fantastic area yeah. out there. Tell us a little bit about how how you've how you've grown, because I would imagine you had a small little tasting room, or, or maybe yeah. not even that in nineteen seventies. Yeah, it was very small. Um, my parents put the winery right next to the road because, with so few wineries in the Midwest, they were afraid you know people wouldn't get off the road and go to a vineyard into a tasting room and. So it grew there. The first year they made about 3,000 cases and sold that. So they had quite a few visitors. And then over the years, um, it's expanded now. So there's about a 50-acre campus there now. So what were they growing then, Peter, oh, those, it, first, those first grapes? Yeah, the, the area was actually driven by Welch's. So, um, Catawba, um, yeah. Yeah, all of Labrusca. So it was Catawba. It was a lot of Concord, yeah. a lot of... Um, uh, Niagara, but there was a grape grower there that grew a lot of French hybrids, Bill Stoltz. And uh, that's one of the reasons why my dad wanted to be there, besides the culture that was there from um, the growers that were growing Concord for Welch's. All the Italians were there, and there at one time there were a couple thousand acres of grapes. Because Welch's had the contracts for the GIs during World War One right. and Two, and they expanded their production base. And they even purchased a winery in Rosati, which is where our vineyards are, to process, and then had put a plant in Springdale, Arkansas. So even in, as a kid into the 70s and 80s, the growers were sending their grapes um, to National Grape Co-op as a cooperative sure. that supplies that owns Welch's. And that's literally down the road, too. So yeah. transportation yeah. costs are, are yeah. not, not that bad. You so get to Springdale. A, there's a long history in Missouri of these entrepreneurial immigra- immigrant groups, from right. the right. Germans to the Italians to the French, that really have grapes and wine as a big part of who they are. Well, what was the – like early on, what were the big sellers that your mom and dad were making that were like – they're top of the line. They knew yeah. if they produced it, the consumer wanted it. It was in high demand. They would drink it. You, believe it or not, the Italians uh, made wine out of the Concord grapes because that's what they were growing. Right. And so that, that sweet red wine was so popular. Yeah. yeah. At the time, there were a lot of Burgundies, if you'll remember. There was... Um, the industry was so much different than yeah with the yeah. jug wines and, sure sure and Mandavi and some of the quality movement hadn't started in the West yet yeah and so um, everybody looked to Europe and said what are some of the wines you would have with dinner and um, so we grew some of those French hybrids and then the sweet wine really sold quite a bit. A lot of Labrasca out the door. Yeah. And still is a, a huge yeah, percentage of your... Yeah, the, our Velvet Red is the exact copy of what the Italians 
um, made in our area, and it, it's always been – it's the top-selling Missouri wine. Yeah. In Missouri and in the Midwest, it's in the top ten still. So then what have you witnessed since you kind of got into it and started mm-hmm. paying attention? Trends and things Trends. that are moving the market um, – What's the the palate of the the consumer? You know, what kind of changes are you seeing in that? Well, right now we're in a great reset because of uh, the new consumer, the new the new drinker has a lot of choices. And so before you were either wine, beer, or spirits drinker, and you're pretty loyal. And yeah. then they went through a period in the last 10 years where they started drinking beer, wine, and spirits, and you'd started to see they drank them all. And it was occasion-based. Right. After after COVID, after 2020, it really accelerated the seltzers and all the choices for first-time drinkers. Yeah. So now you're starting to see the the drinking of the baby boomers is starting to wane, and the millennials and the zers are wanting different beverages, and so uh, wine isn't the same as it was. Right. Still see exactly. it as a very natural product and the most right. natural of all all the beverages, but it's not a necessarily occasion based. That they want. Here's a theory I have, and I'd like your take on it. I think the younger drinker nowadays is mobile, mm-hmm. and they're going places, they're doing things, venues, concerts, events, that type of thing. And I'm a huge wine drinker, but quite often it's discouraging because wine is not often very mobile. That's right. It's hard to take a, a bottle of wine, and you need a separate glass. And I know they make wine in a can and wine in a box, but, you know, there's not really a good can of wine that I can pop the top on and enjoy it like I do a beer or a, a pre-mixed cocktail, something like that. So am I wrong? or And if I'm not wrong, what what's the wine industry doing to address that? So you're not wrong. So I, in, our, in my words, those are occasion-based needs. Right. You have to make the wines for where people are. Not where you are. That's more of a production-based mentality. And I think the wine the wine industry is production-based. And I think we're in this third phase of the industry where it's sales and marketing-based, and it's occasion-based on where people are and what kind of product and what form they want it, where they are at those venues and concerts. And I think we um, have to develop those products for them. Yeah, and I've tried. I, and, uh, you know, I've had, I've had wine, cans of wine and... You know, they're they're but I'm a I like good wine and yeah. I want it to and I like the wine experience and it's just not the same yet. No. I'm hoping I'm hoping we get there. We will. Yeah. Yeah, this is a great industry and it's always uh, been able to change as the needs um, become pretty clear and the industry's having a big conversation right now about um, this very subject. It's a resilient industry, I will say that. It seems mm-hmm. to have weathered a lot of different storms, no pun intended. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, long, long history of winemaking great. in this world. <laughs> well, I will tell you that this bottle that we've tried is something that I'm going to well, thank uh, you. put into my. I am too into my wine cellar. And you know, speaking of wine cellar, now Brad, you knows what Brad knows what my wine cellar looks like. It's a wine closet, really. But no, it's not. I do have a. It's nice. I do have a really cool uh, app that I use to track everything and. It has all of my racks with numbers and rows and things like that. And every once in a while when I'm working on it, I I try and think, I want to do something with this app, but I don't know how to do it. I know there's a way to do it, but I'm not smart enough to figure it out. I need to call a teenager or something. <laughs> and I got to thinking, you know, um, tech help is is really right down the street. Did you know that our local library, Missouri River Regional Library, offers one-on-one tech help for people like me? I I need to get over there. Yeah, I know. And it's not like from my office; it's a long way either. It's no, so, all the way across the street. Yeah, yeah. So if you're, if you're tired of calling your grandkids for help on your computer or to program your DVR or whatever the case is, go check out your local library. Ours has one-on-one time with a tech expert. They'll even train you on how to use devices and stuff like that. They'll train you how to download this podcast. That's a, there's a thought. That's a worthy thing, right? too. The good news is it's free, and uh, I bet if you check with your local library, they may have the same thing. Probably do. Will they fix my 8-track? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, they may take it for a display in the museum. (laughs) Put it it in a case. But anyway, we appreciate Missouri River Regional Library for sponsoring the program. And again, like we say, the library is not just an old building full of old books anymore. They do a lot more than that. So Get your card. Yeah, patronize. Get your card and patronize your local library. And thanks to Missouri River Regional Library. Yes. All right. There we go. So here's what here's what I would like to know too, because I've been down and I actually did the the tasting over in the corner, the winemaker series. How long has that been? Because those wines go in the barrel for a while, right? <laughs> Some of them do. Yeah. And, Some of them do. Yeah. And they're they're really interesting. Really yeah. good. Um, yeah. Those are good. I don't know. You know, time goes so fast for me. It's probably been seven, eight years. Maybe. Okay. I was gonna say it's not. And it it had different different names. And those don't last long either. No, they sell out every year because yeah. they're small lots. Yeah. So, yeah, there's yeah. only you – know, the biggest ones are just a couple hundred cases. Yeah. And which and which ones are those? It just depends, you know, on what the crop level is. And the purpose of them really is to um, be able to do the sensory evaluations, make sure that a grape is successful in the vineyard and in the cellar and with the consumer. And so we'll take those small lots all the way through. We'll try yeast trials on them. See what we can do with the, t- the pl- flavor profile as well as the tannin structure. And then you're tasting that in our tasting room as you're going through. And you're, our folks are kind of watching and talking to you about the little bit of the feedback, getting a little bit of that sensory evaluation. And these are varietals. These are your Nortons mm-hmm, some and Chamberson? Some of them, yeah. And some of those we're doing different um, yeast trials on. Okay. Or maybe we're doing working on a tannin structures. Norton has a natural hole about mid palate, and so you're lengthening tannins with all kinds of interventions. And or there are new varietals that are being tested that are coming out of the R and D vineyard, and that's the most common. Well, our guru Doug Frost, who you know very well, mm-hmm. made an interesting comment when we when we talked to him, and Doug said. I think the most interesting wines to come out of Missouri are Samberson. It's a lot, it's a little bit lighter red. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to agree with Doug on that one. Uh, yeah. Well, I think there's so much variety within the varietal mm-hmm. that Samberson can be a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I think that Pinot, I think Pinot Noir is very similar. You know, you've got your big Pinots, you've got your light Pinots, you've got all sorts of, there's a whole range of what Pinot Noir can be. And I think Doug was saying that Chamberson lends itself to to being a lot of different things, or can be. So, yeah, um, yeah the Chamberson is interesting to me because uh, Missouri, as you well know, doesn't have the uh, constant climate, right? And so we're actually in one of the um, areas that gets the most heat degree days. So typically, there are grapes will ripen differently. In, and maybe fully. So Chamberson really has different taste profiles depending on if it's fully ripened or it has different degrees of ripe, ripeness. Yeah. Because um, the, the Pinot grape likes, ripeness, likes its ripeness. I don't ripe, know what's ripe, with me today. Ripeness. Maybe a little too much wine. Well, ripeness. <laughs> my God. I hope my wife's not listening to this. We can edit that out. Oh, God. We all knew what you meant. So if we look at at St. James Winery and your, uh, you know, you talked about marketing. It's a marketing and production uh, game too. What's your biggest seller right now? So if I'm going to go to St. James Catalog, yeah. What, well, what um, do you sell the most of? Nationally, we sell the most of our fruit wines and our sweet wines. Okay, so we have the top selling fruit <coughs> wine in the United States. Our talk blackberry. about yeah, talk about fruit wines. We don't talk about fruit wines often, but it is something that a lot of consumers love. Obviously. Yeah, we're making uh, um, some that are a little lower alcohol, but you know our approach to fruit wines is uh, because our customers want um, sweet wines, and so we were able to specialize in that area because that's not where the big boys were in the old days. Right. So we could grow our business and not have to go head to head with uh, Gallo. Right. And that's pretty important if you actually want to have a decent sized business. You don't want to take on a gallo. Right. So, but our approach was we'd use 100% fruit juice. So, most of the wineries do fruit flavored grape wine, and ours isn't. Okay. We just won, um, it'll be announced tomorrow, but we, our strawberry just won um, best of class in LA. Oh, wow. Which is one of the country's largest wine con and most prestigious wine contests. Nice. So nice. it's that hundred percent fruit approach, yeah. 
and they're as a line they're the most awarded in the United States in the major competitions because of that. Yeah. Um, so you, we may enjoy this project 1970, but they kind of approach the fruit wines the same way, and so we're able to get a premium for them in the marketplace. All right. So so you're just letting the natural sugars from the fruit. Mm-hmm serve as to help with your yeah i, um, I think if you and, do flavor grape wine you taste you change the taste profile of the fruit structure itself yeah and that's yeah. the whole premises behind 100 percent fruit yeah. and so a lot of folks will use them as simple syrups and mix in cocktails or my wife even adds it to some of our muffin mixes in the morning <laughs> just because it's 100 percent fruit yeah so it's got yeah. a lot of uses in cooking and other areas nice. too nice yeah all right. Well, you mentioned the 1970. Yeah. Let's, the let's 1970. talk about it. So, so we're on Bon You heard us pouring here the last few seconds. We're, we're on to our second wine and this is a red. Peter, tell us about the, the red wine. Well, it's got some, uh, Dornfelder in it. So that's a new grape that's coming out. Um, as well as some Cab Franc. We're able to grow some good Cab Franc now. Okay. It, the quality seems to be, uh, really decent in our vineyards as well. And then it's got some of the traditionals, a little bit of Chamberson, a little bit of Norton in it as well. Um, those are the main grapes for it. But um, as you guys know, it's got that soft fruit forward, real soft tannins approach is th- really the way that it's made. And this is the Project 1970 yep. State Grown. So where's the name come from? Uh, the winery was founded in 70. And my dad's plans from the first, I went back and read a lot of his articles from interviews, were to really reflect the terroir of our area. With the weather patterns are a little different than the other regions in the state. And he thought that this could be a good place to um, grow some of these grapes. And so the project since 1970, we've been trying to improve our dry reds and our dry whites. And so the quality red project is Project 1970. So that's been a constant in our business for a while. Well, I love a Cab Franc, and I don't know. This I'm definitely nice. getting getting that the Cab Franc is is coming through in this. Well, when I, the cassis and the cherry and the fruit forward part yep, from it, yeah, and I'm a big yeah. fan of blends. Let's talk about what it looks like. Beautiful purple color. Uh, it's got a nice um, rose colored rim uh, halo on it, and uh, it, if you hold it up to the light, it's a little bit translucent along the edges, but it's pretty deep within the glass. It's pretty deep color. Um, great nose, but this is balanced. I mean, when I put this in my mouth, I get a nice balance of fruit, acid, minerality, nice, very supple finish to me. Yeah, I like the yeah. finish and I like the softness of I the tannins. Too. Yeah. I and, think and, that's you know, a key. Um, you, you say tannins. It's a very easy, easy drinking wine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think of tannins as astringency. Mm-hmm. And I don't get a lot of it on yeah, my these, palate. These are more silky. They're a little different. Yeah, very, very smooth. Yeah. Oh, that's a really nice red. I this like is that. a very nice red. I'll drink this all day long. I would, too. So that, I would too. We couldn't make a wine like that um, 10 years ago. Yeah. We did not grow the grapes that could make that. So we're, we're Doug's very interested in the Chamberson and how it expresses itself in all the different regions. We think there's a new day coming with a lot of grapes coming out of the R&D vineyards that are going to change the taste profile of the state. Well, you know, you think of different appellations. In, um, we were in a conversation last night with, about Paso Robles mm-hmm. and how they started out as a grape-growing region that shipped their grapes off somewhere else, then started blending and kind of became known as one of the best blending regions in the country. Mm-hmm. Now they're developing their own. They're making their own varietal wines they are. in addition to blending. But yeah, Jer- uh, Jerry Lohr has a place there. There, he's been one of the leaders in the industry on just bringing all the states together to work with USDA ARS to solve our industry problems. Um, and yeah. so he's from that area, yeah. and his interest in moving um, wines and grapes ahead. Right. And being able to grow quality grapes in all the regions of the country is extremely high. So That's I have nice. no doubt they're a leading region just because of his influence and his yeah. family's influence. Well, talk a little bit about cooperation among yeah. growers, vintners, winemakers, not only in Missouri, but uh, nationally and internationally. Yeah, as, as I said, when the wineries started in 70, there are very few wineries in the United States. And so that, that foundation of wine families uh, still is here today, even with 16,000. So usually um, we work with uh, East and West Coast, and we'll work in Congress and with USDA. 
And then we'll also work on national uh, grape priorities. And we'll work with table grapes. We'll work with uh, juice grapes. And we set these priorities um, and do the basic and applied research. And then we'll put research consortiums together to be able to inject technology to be able to move the needle on profitability for the eastern wine industry Mm -hmm. so that a lot of these vineyards can be more automated. There's opportunities um, to be able to improve the quality through marker-assisted breeding with the varietals that can grow in these regions. So all the industry east to west faces issues, but because the economic uh, power is on the west coast, they've only got two U.S. senators. So it's very hard for them to get anything done um, that requires long-term funding, working with uh, the government or with uh, universities, without the cooperation of others. Sure. Missouri is the same way. Yeah. If you look at the restart of the industry and what my family did with my father and Mr. Held and my mom and Mrs. Held and some of the other vineyards in, in the state, it was that cooperation um, like with Glenn Barget um, and others that work together with uh, the, our governors and our legislature to start funding the programs that's grown the industry to where it is today. So it's all based on cooperation. Well, None of us good. could have done it alone. That's great. Well, one of the things I was going to ask you about, too, because every, everything has a story. Uh, the the Friendship School Wines is, intri- is an intriguing story. And how did that all come about? I mean, you got to... You guys help out with a one one room schoolhouse. It used to be so. the 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 future is uh, taking care of the past in a way. There it is. You know the um, Italians that settled our area are very aspirational, and so they were um, really refugees when the Austrian Empire broke up. They went to Genoa and then found their way over to the United States. And then because the railroad was giving land away, if they would settle. Rosati uh, was not viewed before, but Rosati came about because they had the land and they could put vineyards in mm-hmm. and grapes and fruit and make a living there. And so they, even though they were poor, they all contributed a dollar every month to a fund that built the schoolhouse. And so they, it was a center of community life in the Rosati, the Italian community, because they were aspirational. Mm-hmm. They wanted their kids to have it better than they had it. So they were willing to sacrifice, and that schoolhouse built uh, burned down a couple times and was rebuilt because of that fund. And so we, um, when the, when we started our winery, there are so few wineries in the Midwest and in the United States as a whole, we felt that same aspirational um, view as the Italians did. And so the Friendship School is on one of our vineyards, and we just naturally gravitated towards it. So we have a line now that reflects our sustainability efforts that comes from the vineyards around it. And we think tomorrow's going to be better than today for just the reasons we've been talking about as we've been tasting these two wines. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's an aspirational, not what we are, but what we want to be and where we're going. Very cool. And wow. that's what it represents. Uh, that is that is yeah, just a great story, great. and there's a great picture of it. it uh, yeah. It's just a, yeah. a cute little one-room schoolhouse in the, it, in the country. It's just great. I'm continually inspired by um, what the generation before us, like Mr. Held and my father and my mother and Mrs. Held and the Italians did. It yeah. was always about tomorrow, not about today. Yeah. And always about family and what you could do. But in the middle of it was always wine. Yeah. And how can yeah. you go wrong? No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> well, well, talk about a, a little bit. You mentioned it, just your sustainability efforts. Talk, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that. It is important. We've mentioned the climate and, and that kind of thing, but there's a lot of other things that go along with that. And I know uh, sustainability you, you hear words and terms thrown up around like all natural, organic, you know, uh, eco-friendly, and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But what's your all's approach to st- sustainability and being huh. eco-friendly? Yeah, there's really eco-friendly is just one piece of it. There's also a cultural aspect because the Italians um, are – Getting on in age, and we don't want to lose that culture and, and all the music and all the food and the things that they've brought to our area. So cultural sustainability is a piece of it. And then there is um, just the fact that um, the economic sustainability for our town and St. James and Rosati mm-hmm. is a piece of it and community involvement, which goes to the value of my mother, leave the world better than you found it. Right. 
But the eco side is it was brought to us by Andrew Maggot in his interest coming from New Zealand. And he, we farm, we have a, um, we have a hard pan that's just a foot or two feet down below. So we farm a very little, small piece with our vineyards of land, really, if you think about root depth. Mm-hmm. And so herbicides, things like that, they just don't work very long. It's not a long-term solution. Yeah. And so you want to be able to grow earthworms. You want to be able to have um, those micronutrients available for your vineyards for the quality. Sure. So it pushes you into a way of how do you treat the soil for the long run. So we have we've been doing all sorts of uh, things um, to move more natural rather than industrial based for years yeah. and years. Yeah. And the pollinations become the same thing. So we do we have a pretty hefty bee program. Yeah. As well. So there's just one problem that we're presented, and then we find a more natural solution to do it. And Department of Ag under. Um, at one time came out and certified us for these sustainable practices that we use yeah. as stewards of the land and, oh, and applying sustainable practices. But we're really solving solutions to make better tasting or better quality grapes for better wines and for the long to preserve term. the for future. For the long term. Yes. So I think, yeah. it has you can nothing do both. to do with yeah. what's trendy. Yeah. It yeah. has to do with being able to produce our vision of tomorrow today and sustain your business also yes yeah. and that's yeah. always important as my mom said you sure. got to put groceries on the table yeah yeah you, you still have to sell some wine <laughs> well yeah they had it right they would do that and then they would travel so they were very similar to you guys every first quarter of every year they would travel to some wine region in the world yeah. and wine food why don't, why don't we do that culture i think that sounds like a good good plan why don't we do that every quarter <laughs> <laughs> that's what they did that's it was that. a lifestyle business yeah. wow Okay, speaking of the future, there was another word that popped up in one of your interviews that really got my attention. Distillery. Yeah. Where are we with that? Yeah. Are, are, are yeah, we, we still working on that? Oh, yeah. yeah, we've, um, we think as part of our sustainability efforts, we brought in, um, an engineering firm from Kansas City and they helped us identify all of our waste streams and put in a master plan for a campus. And part of it's taking some of our waste streams and being able to distill them. So we're making grappa, some of our pumice, things like that. So that's where we're heading with our efforts. Okay. Um, So we're about three-fourths of the way there. Every time we have a market upset, like with COVID, we kind of pull back. Sure. So the development's going slower than we want. But um, when you got a fifty-year outlook, you just keep plugging away. Yeah. yeah. So, are you looking at are you looking at vodkas or gins or bourbons yeah. or all of them? Yeah, or? we'll start with the whites and then um, be able to age the browns. Yeah. yeah. And we think it's it's going to take some time for this thing to come together. Sure will. Yeah. So we're we're trying to pull it together now. So we'll see. Well, if you ever need any uh, samplers, you we know. will. We always, you know, <laughs> we that, need help. that's just the kind of guys we are. Yeah. We're just we're little, we're, we're just little helpers. You guys are we're selfless helpful. that way. We're selfless that way. <laughs> wow, our yeah. state's better off because of you guys. <laughs> Always willing to lend a hand. Never oh thought we'd God. hear that on the podcast. Wow. All right, I can tell. I can tell we're into our second glass of wine. All right. So, so one thing that I had written down on my notes to ask you was wish list. So, yeah. if you had a, you know, knowing what the trends are, what the markets are, how things are changing, this reset you've talked about, if you kind of had a wish list, what's on your wish list that you'd like to see happen in the next ten? 15, 20 years. Well, I think Jim Anderson is the key to this, my wish list, because what I'd love to see is a lot more wineries. And I'd like to see a lot more wineries in our area and other very distinct terroirs in our state, because our state really could be five or six different states because of sure. cultural differences oh, as yeah. well as just, yeah. just uh, the well, macro ge- environment. Geologically, if nothing else. Right. I mean, you get north of the Missouri River, you got yeah. completely different terroir than oh. south. And, then the z- and just the climate is yeah. so different. Yeah. But in my world, and Feast Magazine really showed this, there are these pockets where you have these artisanal producers in all of agriculture. And so if the wineries are there, you start to see this kind of what you see out in Sonoma yeah, or some of these great regions in Michigan where it's wine, it's food, it's culture yeah. all coming together. And that's the kind of life I want to live on my wish list is very distinct regions around the state, very active industry, um, wineries on a lot of corners that are kind of the tip of the spear for this cultural wine, food, beer, um, 
music, spirits, yeah, all that yeah, cool. together. That that's my wish list. Well, that would be a cool be a cool state to live in. I mean, it already is, but that would really yeah. Of course, culture. For Bon Vivants, that'd be a great thing. And our our state has a history of entrepreneurship, especially in the ag sector. Yeah. So um, just keep producing, keep um, working towards improving, keep um, keep the dream alive, keep working multi-generation. And I think you're seeing some states like Virginia, for instance. Who was it I was listening to? They said, what an irony that Virginia has come on as as – strong as they have in the wine industry when they were the ones that produced the first wines in the United States yeah. that if you could have drank that shit it was the worst <laughs> it was the worst because they used native grapes yeah. and yeah. just basically crushed them and fermented them and yeah. they said if you could they said what did he say he said if you could go to the grocery store and pick out the worst bottle of wine that's in there it would have been the would, best bottle of wine. A, it would have been like famous compared to what, they were what it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, I thought that was it was interesting. But yeah. when we talked to Jim, we were at about 125 vineyards in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Are we uh, wineries? Wineries. Yeah, about the same. We're, we're always fluff. We're always around 130. Yeah. Well, for Bon Vivants out there, if you're in and around Missouri, certainly. Give St. James Winery a, a taste test and, and uh, drop in there. It's a great place to visit and taste, as are many of the wineries in Missouri. Uh, you know, there is a Missouri wine trail uh, that you can go on and sort of take the path and, and see several. They're, they're fairly regionally close, mm-hmm. a lot of them, so it's not a huge stretch that you're driving a, a long distance. But uh, And I would, I would echo that with anywhere you are. Seek out local producers local uh, vintners, winemakers, brewers, distillers, and sample that stuff. You're going to find some real gems out there, some real hidden gems, I know, Uh, because it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. Yeah, so. Yeah, it's the farm-to-table restaurants. It's the whole thing together with the wineries that you usually find. Well, you're, you're right. There's usually good places to eat that are closely associated with those places also so you can uh, kill a lot of birds with one stone stopping in those places so speaking of eat i think should we go to our top three nice segue oh (laughs) you know i'm not just another pretty face (laughs) i've heard that so the third section of our program first of all peter thank you for coming and bringing the wines and um we will post everything uh contact wise social media wise about uh, St. James Winery and Peter and what they do there and how to access their wines. These were both excellent wines we tasted. I'd say today. the future of St. James based on these two wines. Oh, you no are doubt. you are you are headed for the no future doubt. in a in a great way. Well, yeah. thank you. Yeah, it's and, very generous. Uh, and we wouldn't we wouldn't just say that we uh, we would find another way to get around it. <laughs> 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 no, um, these are wines I'm going to be adding to my cellar. I know that. Um, so the third part of the program is three top picks. And we, again, we kind of went off, uh, off topic, but I'm kind of excited about this one. I think it'd be fun. One of the things along Route 66 that you'll see a lot of and was, was famous for when it was back, uh, uh, the famous highway from across the country were diners. And, you know, Guy Fieri kind of made diners popular again with Triple D, diners, drive-ins, and dives. And yeah, he ruined lots of them. Yeah, he did ruin <laughs> lots of them. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, he kind of brought them back to the forefront as far as, as eateries and uh, popular topics. So we decided to kind of, kind of look into the, uh, the diner food aspect of things. And the top three picks category this week is... Top three diner dishes. If you're going to go into a diner and eat, what are the top three things that you typically can find in a diner that is on your wish list, the things that you like? So here's how we do it, Peter. We'll start with you. Do one at a time, and we'll just go around the table, each give one, and, and tell why, you know. And there's it's not a contest, no wagering, please. Uh, but it's why they're your top picks, okay? Okay. Yeah, I... For me, the diners, usually it's the desserts and it's pie. Pie. Almost pie. always. And I, no matter I, what diner I, I go that? into. I didn't do pie. But I didn't do right. pie And what I love about them is a lot of them are homemade. Oh, yeah. And they reflect the seasons. Oh, yeah. And so if you're traveling in the summer, uh, late summer, you get these peach pies yeah. that are just heavenly at these diners. From local peaches. Oh, yeah. 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 Especially yeah. as you move towards southern Missouri, like Campbell, Missouri. Yeah. Oh, my God. 
And they usually, they usually have them. a grandma-made crust. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Crust. You're yeah. making me hungry yeah, just I thinking know. about it. Well, but not only that, the, so you got the fruit pies, but then you got the meringue. Oh, my gosh. You're right. Chocolate These, pies. Heat, chocolate, my, lemon, that's my jam right banana, there. Yeah. banana um, le- yeah, coconut, coconut cream with these huge meringues. And they're like, it, it kind of has become a my meringue's bigger than your meringue type thing. You see how high you can get them. And some of these pies, they're like, you know, they're outrageous. Where'd you take me down to Rolla? What was the name of the That was... The, there's what Rolla. is the place in Rolla? Slice That's, of Pie. Slice, slice of, of pie. pie. Thank you, the studio audience. <laughs> our, per, our producer, Slice of Pie is one of those things. All homemade pies. And the other thing, Peter, that I, I didn't even think of pie, great call, is the display. Oh yeah. So you'll see them like in the use. You'll see them yeah. now in like a refrigerated yeah. display, but they used to be in like this carousel, this glass carousel, and you could turn the knob and see what kind of pie they had. There's one in Washington, Missouri. Yeah, you really? probably know. Do you remember which? It's a family name. I it just I never can remember which one it is. They got meringue. It's about six oh, inches yeah. high, but, but they've meringue, got yeah. one of those. They've got one of those round Car- the carousel pie keepers. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's. Oh, it's oh, so good. Pie. Great call. Diner pie with a cup of diner coffee. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're there. Honorable mention to the cup diner coffee. I don't know. I think, All right. I think Peter's got the game down I don't good. know. I That's, do, too. That, I, think, I, I think he came I out of the... Think you can tell, we, you can tell I travel in a lot of uh, Everything areas else is going to pale, I think. Yeah. A lot of cafes. So I'm cheating diners. a little bit on my first one because it's not a dish. It's a meal, and that is breakfast. Okay, and, and because of the way they cook in diners, most of the time it's on this plancha or griddle. So everything's cooked on the griddle. Eggs are cooked on the griddle. Your bacon or sausage is cooked on the griddle. Your pancakes are cooked on the griddle. And it all has this seasoned flavor. And good griddle chefs, now it's hard to get a good runny egg anymore that's cooked but still runny in the middle. The yolk is still soft. Those guys on that plancha know how to do it. An over easy egg is just great. And oh, hash crispy hash browns, you know, they the butter and the oil, and they get those edges crispy. So I'm going to say breakfast, and then of course there's a side of biscuits and gravy. That well, we have we doubled on that one because because okay. you're describing. I'll stop. You, well, you're describing the town grill down well, yes. down here. Just one of many. It's just one of many. Yeah, town grill. Yeah. Town grill. Which yeah, we, Oscars we, is a lot. Oscars like is another one. Oscars yeah. is another yeah. good one. Yep. yep. But so. breakfast is good, especially. Here's what I really like is is if when they put the hash browns on the griddle, you know, with, yeah, with yeah, and yeah. it gets a little of the bacon stuff going oh, yeah. on in there, yeah, and you get all that going on together, and well, it's just yeah, uh, and the pan, they're, they're cooking pancakes on bacon grease is what they're doing basically, you know, it's got all that's that just flavor. What God, that's why God created that. Bacon. Just no, that's that. that. that's right, so. absolutely, oh. absolutely. But I yeah. agree. I had that, that was my actually my number one was breakfast, and and you can go. And depending on the time of day, that was another important thing I was going to bring up. Yeah. Sometimes, Keith, you know, you go to diners that stay open very late. And sometimes that omelet or that bacon somehow, for whatever reason, tastes better after midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm not sure exactly what would precipitate that, but I know on a couple of occasions I've snarfed down a full breakfast at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not sure why they tasted better at 1 o'clock in, in the morning, but well, maybe it, it was you, just because it's closer to 7 or 8 the next day. It I makes you feel better at 7 or 8 the next morning. You know, I can is tell you that, that it? Yeah, it'll you do that have, for Just you. explain why there's diners in most major wine regions around the world. <laughs> I have never thought about it before, but well, you are absolutely right. No matter what country you go to, there's a form of a diner in that wine region. You're right. It's a medicinal thing, I think. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a step back just for a second because I forget we have bon vivants all around the world who may not really know what we mean by diner. So how are you gonna define diner? What what makes a diner to you? I think it's gotta have booths and stools on it. Okay. In it. All right. I, can I, go with I think that. because uh, the original diners were actually weren't they converted dining cars? They were, uh, or yeah, they were because they were like they big, were like train cars. Yeah, like yes. big silver like things. Yes, yeah. Uh-huh. And they there was a there was a manufacturer that made those. They were mobile diners, and they'd bring them in and set them down. Yes, but you had diner counters like in stores that I, I would consider a diner, mm-hmm. more like a town grill. Yeah, I mean, there's one in Napa Taylor. If yeah. you've ever been there, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I, I think size does have something to do with it. You know, it'll only hold so many people. There's only so much cooking space behind the counter. So many wait staff. You know, maybe that's it. You can you, know, you have to sit, you sit there and can watch them cook your meal. Yeah, maybe that I, I maybe think, that is a definition. I think for an open diamond. kitchen might have something to do with it, or at least open window when they're shouting through it. You know, flow. Give me the covered and smothered. Yeah, I, I always think it's a gathering place for locals because it's part of the ebb of flow of life. So if that's you have true. been out tasting wines, I think wines, a local connection is one of the characteristics it's, of a diner. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's so. where the they get together. It's a local gathering place that has a certain type of food, and, uh, and we'll talk more about dish. So, okay, so we define diner. So, all right, Peter, number two, dish. You know, it's always hard to beat a uh, really good mac and cheese. Yeah, to me. So, so interesting choice because diners not only have their quick meals made to order, but they also would do these made ahead type things like mac and cheese, a big restaurant pan full, right? They've done it the, the night before, the morning of, and and it's sitting there ready to be served. And when it's done, it's gone. You know, you you mark it off the board. We're done. So. Interesting call. I um, think mac and cheese because I had that down too. You guys are doing really well. I, I'm not going to have <laughs> sorry, to say anything. No, we that. do that. Well, there's a reason why no, we don't talk about it ahead of time because yeah. it makes it fun. A lot. But I think it seems to me uh, mac and cheese has had a major resurgence. I don't remember growing up and having lobster mac and cheese or shrimp mac and cheese well, the or gourmet. some of the all the yeah. you know bacon mac and cheese and all of the different kinds of mac and cheese that you can get now that are so unbelievably rich and the gourmet mac and cheese is a is a very prominent thing in in cuisine nowadays but yeah the old style with just that breadcrumb breadcrumbs on it and crop it in crop it in and broil crusty on broil it a little bit yeah Mm. but you know that brings up another point and that is the cuisine at diners has changed i mean you were talking about guys show yeah most some of the things that they cooked in those are not diner food. No, they're, mean, they're elevating got, it. They've yeah. got these major upscale kind of dishes that uh, now nobody yeah, they're knows about until no guys about show. It. And yeah, yeah, you can't get into them anymore. That's what he loves about it. Yeah. Yeah. So. so anyway, good call. So prepped mac and cheese. Yeah, and the big and you can see it in that big pan with the foil over mm-hmm. it. They just pull it out, get a scoop. <laughs> and later in the, the later in the day, it is the better it is. Usually. <laughs> Yeah, it gets a yeah. little. It gets a little stiffer. It's like day old pasta sauce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. My Chewy. my second one. I believe, and this is sort of the counter to the the prepped pan of stuff. I believe every good diner has a really good double cheeseburger that they with those crispy edges. They're kind of they call them smash burgers today, but nothing fancy. Double cheeseburger, white bun. Mustard, ketchup, pickle if you're so inclined, which you know I'm not. And along with that, it has to have a really good order of fries or onion rings. Yeah. That are, you know, in the deep fryer basket. Big onion rings go along with yeah, that. I yeah, I love a good onion ring. So. Once again, one or two o'clock in the morning, those aren't bad either. No, those will soak I've heard. Up, those will soak up a lot of booze. So they say. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been told. So I've been told. <laughs> No, but I believe the double cheeseburger. You can't uh, you can't talk about diner food and not talk about burgers. Some kind of burger. Yeah, yeah. you've got to have some kind of burger. And, and he takes that. He takes it and he throws it on there and he smashes it with that yep. big metal spatula and you just see it. Yeah, there's a few major chains that sort of stole it. I think probably. But well, that's okay. That's capitalism. Yeah, and uh, I'm true. okay with that. It's uh, true. The good the the good good thing that I learned from watching diners drive and dives is doming it. You know, you put the dome, put the dome over and you, it, and, and you, you melt it, and it, it melts the cheese. Yeah. Yeah. It gets a little crispy edge on the cheese. Nice. Yeah. All right. Do I get to do one now? It, yeah. If you can be, are you original or not? I think I am. <laughs> on this one, I am. So I think most diners, and and I'm I'm talking about the '83 diner in particular, uh, which is on on uh, I-70, uh, Interstate 70, and we stop there occasionally on our way up to the Lyceum Theater. Yeah. So uh, your open-faced roast beef. Oh, yeah. Open-faced roast beef with a small mountain of mashed potatoes with really dark Dark gravy gravy. poured all over it. Eat that and then go up and try to stay awake to the Lyceum shows, which I do 
by the way. I don't know how you do it. Well, it's that's uh, amazing. It, and it comes under the big umbrella of comfort food. Oh yeah, uh, big time. As well, do that, the burgers, another, as do mac and cheese. I mean, those I, are. I those think that's are, another prerequisite for diners is it's comfort food. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So that, yeah, the, that's the, one of my favorite. The hot roast beef sandwich, open face. Yeah, that's a great call. Great call. Okay. All right. Number three. Yeah, number three is pretty tough for me, but I was thinking about um, as you travel that there's regions that are known for something, mm-hmm. and you'll see this kind of like an option there because there's lots of it. So if you're in an area that has a lot of beef, you'll see something special at a diner that's like a local yeah. tradition yeah. that you won't see anywhere else. Right. So it kind of reflects the culture of the area yeah. more than other places um, to me. Sure, sure. Well, you know, well, crab cakes in Maryland. Yeah. You know, well, uh, you know, something por- like that. Pork steak in Central That's Missouri right. is that way. Yeah. You go other places and order pork steak and they'll look at you like a crazy. Yeah, you see tenderloins, yeah. you know, in other yeah. places. Po' you know, boys. boys in, in yeah. Louisiana. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, regional so, specials. That's cool. Yeah. And a lot of times they're like the... It, the, I'm surprised somebody hasn't said the blue plate special or the special that's of the right. day. Yeah, so so I think that's they what are. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're the special. Which could day. which could definitely be your open faced. Oh uh, yeah, you but can have open like faced roast beef day. It's like a local um, comfort food. Sure, but it's their traditions. It's tradition. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of it's uh, ethnic too. Mm-hmm. You know, Polish food, Italian right. food, German, yep. whatever. Yep. You know, um, very good. Okay, good. Call. That's that covers a lot. So my third one, I'm going to do an honorable mention first because it just came up, and that is the uh, pork tenderloin. Uh, and there's a lot of ways to do them, and there's a lot of bad ways to get them. And if you're getting them pre-frozen, that's a bad way to get them. <laughs> if it's a fresh tenderloin that's freshly pounded with a really good coating, p- pork tenderloin sandwich is hard to beat. little uh, hot mustard hot honey mustard that's the way to do it pickles if you so choose i so which choose. i don't i so choose i also had tenderloin mark, you, mark twain diner up in beautiful yeah, hannibal yeah. missouri has got one it's as big as your head i think this is a new competition too to see no, we're gonna have to have a tenderloin make, cook-off who sometime. can make the biggest tenderloin B- biggest isn't oh, always best that's like my no. point echo lounge has yeah. got got a but they're, they're pretty good ones there's yeah. a place in bolivar missouri that has one that's three times the size of the plate and it actually is good but the best one is miller's pub in paris missouri because it's not that much bigger than the bun and it's it's fresh it's not pounded to paper thin yeah it still has you know some height to it and it's and the coating is. I get cravings for them. Well, you anyway. pound them if you pound them, you know, wafer thin, and then you you fry them up. You know, you might as well be eating a ball glove. It's just all ready. Yeah. It's, it's just all ready. So. You could but chew the, it for a pork, week. The pork tenderloin was an uh, honorable mention, but in the same vein, if you're talking diner food, the chicken fried steak, chicken fried steak with I, mashed potatoes and cream gravy. There you go. And the, and if you don't know what this is, Bon Vivants, it is usually a, a cheap cut of meat, like a round steak, which is typically fairly tough. So you pound the crap out of it. Skirt steak, maybe. Bread it, and then fry deep fry it to a crispy golden brown and mashed potatoes and cream gravy on top of it. Oh, my gosh. A good chicken fried steak is hard to beat. So that's my As I'm drinking this red, you know what? I would really like to have a big old open face roast beef. Yeah, sandwich that'd be great. It would I think this would. I was thinking about the cheeseburger. This would, yeah, it would this pair would go good with a lot that of stuff. Well too. I thought maybe you were going to say a big, big old bowl of spaghetti because some uh, oh, diners make a good yeah, spaghetti. They, they make a good. That's that's one of those things they the, make the sauce ahead of time and it sits and just marries I, and gets better. That could be on the blue. That could be a blue yes, plate for that. But could be the the Thursday is spaghetti day or whatever Wednesday or whatever. Yeah, yeah. this red would go really nice with some uh, yeah, pasta sauce. I always just enjoyed talking to the people at these diners because I always find out a lot about what's going on locally yeah, yeah. and get some good suggestions about You're things exactly I need to be right. doing or. If you want to know what's going on in town, drop in the local diner. Yeah, when I was director of ag, I, I found that I got a lot of political advice as I would go around the state from farmers that were yeah 
at the diners. You oh, bet. you'll hear everything. Oh, yeah. You'll hear it yeah. whether you want to hear it or not. Exactly, <laughs> whether I want to hear it or not. Right. <laughs> but it was a great source of information. If you wanted to know where the ag economy or rural America is, just go yeah. to the diners. Yeah, Buy them a piece of pie. Exactly. <laughs> a piece of pie. I mean, who piece can of pie and a cup of coffee. They're going to tell the truth if you buy them pie. Yeah, you betcha. <laughs> you right. betcha. Right. Well, this has been fun. Has Peter, been we can't blast. thank you enough for coming in today and, and especially bringing your wines and letting us sample those. And uh, and uh, it's always a good time talking talking to local people and about local stuff. And Bob Vivance, we appreciate you joining us out there. Dr. Jones, what else is going on? Anything? Oh, you and I have uh, big plans for the future. We do. Peter talked about the future. We've got... We just keep our our list just keeps getting longer, but our time seems to get be getting shorter. So we're, we're gonna uh, make it. Work. We we promise, Bobby Bonds. We've, we've, we've got, got some. We've got some fun stuff. We got a few up. little trips coming yeah, up, do, and so. uh, we're looking forward to. And uh, remember to like and share and rate and review the uh, podcast. Uh, we're still growing, and we need your help to do that. So. Um, we thank you for your support and tell everybody you know about it. Oh, we got to thank Barvino. We almost forgot Barvino. Yeah, always. Our bottle sponsor. Our bottle sponsor. Yeah. Mr. Matt Green. Matt's fantastic. Matt's a fantastic yeah. guy. He's been with us since day one. He has. He's our, uh, he's our personal sommelier, which yeah. is kind of fun. <laughs> fun to have one. <laughs> <laughs> you know. All, All right, Tim. Right, we're out of here. All right. Peter, thank you so thank much. You. Yeah. And Mr. Enlow. Cheers. Cheers. We Like That Too is produced as a labor of love for the enjoyment of Bon Vivants everywhere. To get information about our bottles and links to our guests, go to our website, welikethatpodcast.com. Tune in to new episodes by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, and other popular streaming apps. Please remember to rate, review, and share. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Like That Podcast. So everybody, hey, remember the numbers. One bottle, two good friends, and three top picks because we We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too.